Hey everyone, welcome back to The Negotiation, and on today's show we talk with Matthias Chaillou, a man with two decades of experience working for large multinational advertising groups like Karat, much of which was in China, and he's now the global head of strategic operations for Zenith, a publicist company. On today's show we discuss how China's video platforms like Lioku, QQ Video, and Yi not only differ from YouTube and Netflix, but also surprisingly dwarf them in viewership, the formula for successfully securing business in China as an agency, the risk tolerance of Chinese brands and how it's changed over the years and how the agency model is changing in China. Matthias, what is your favorite Chinese brand and why? If you consider WeChat is a, is a brand, I have to go with WeChat and for two reasons. Um, the first one is that you truly have the world in the palm of your hand. And the second one is that it's it's really perfect UX. Um, what, what really... Um, what I find astonishing, having been back in Europe for, for a year now, is that WhatsApp's just not copying what they're doing. Home to over 4 billion people, the Asia-Pacific region boasts one of the most powerful consumer markets on the planet. Not only is it home to half the world's under 30 population, but it's also home to more than half the world's internet users. It's a market no globally-minded brand should ignore, but entering markets like China is no easy task. Just ask the likes of Microsoft, Google, Uber, and Facebook. Times are changing, and with the right partners, doors are slowly opening as more and more companies find success expanding into the markets of the Middle Kingdom. I myself spent eight years in China, mostly as a venture capitalist, helping early-stage tech companies enter the Asia-Pacific market successfully. This show is dedicated to uncovering and examining successful China entry and growth strategies by interviewing the people behind those success stories. My name is Todd Embley, and welcome to The Negotiation, brought to you by WPIC Marketing and Technologies. Matthias, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me on. Okay, so as we like to start out, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and your China story of how you ended up in China and the years that you spent there? Um, I got a phone call about 10 years ago from, uh, from my company and the managing director in China asking me if, if I wanted to go there. Um, and I was actually living in Italy at the time and I really enjoyed the, the, the Dolce Vita. Um, so I was a bit reluctant to, to, to go. Uh, but my, my wife being more intelligent than I am said this was, uh, you know, things were happening in China and it was a huge opportunity and that we should absolutely go. So, so we did. And I listened to her. Um, and so I arrived there being a, an account director for, for a big uh, foreign brand, which had acquired a, a, local, a local company. Uh, and I started lo- learning how to do television in China. Um, and then 10 years down the line, I ended up doing some Weibo, then WeChat, Alibaba, and ended up being an expert in e-commerce. So quite a, quite a long journey, uh, nine years, but I felt that I've done something different every day there. Um, and that's one of the reasons I stayed for so long. Can I ask you a little bit about what the industry was like back in the days when TV was kind of the medium of choice? Probably the first year and a half or two years, everything was about the, the cost per rating point and negotiating with around uh, 26 provinces, um, a thousand TV channels. And, and really most of the work we did on the agency side was really cracking that. Um, so, so that, that's what planning was, um, was you can consider China actually like a continent where every province would be, would be a country. Uh, and so we spend our time actually meeting with media owners, uh, going to, 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 restaurants. And it was a very traditional business that was, you know, 
basically wholesale. And what was it like transitioning from that into what we consider to be the digital age if TV is analog? Yeah, it's funny because when you live through it, you don't really see the transition and it happens so quickly and then you find yourself just just in a different world and i think there's two things that accelerated that in china the first one was weibo um and everybody saw weibo which is that the chinese twitter uh would be you know the winning media and that it would change the world um but also yoku and other online tv providers so the equivalents of, of youtube mm-hmm. And these guys arrived, and two years down the line, all the money was flowing on social media and and online television, and at a rate much quicker than than in the West. So we we really saw the world transforming in just two years. But for some odd, you know, it's it's a little bit like when you have a when you have a, a kid and you're sleep deprived, um, that the body makes it that you don't remember, you'd never have a second one. Uh, I guess I guess you know, speed of change in China is a little bit the same, where you know it's really intense, uh, but oddly enough, you don't remember going through so many changes so quickly and through so much pain. Did you spend a lot of time? Or get to know the Tudo and the Yoku and the the video platforms in China. We haven't had a lot of guests talk about or reference those. And I actually forgot. Um, I even forgot that they were out there. But I mean, YouTube, obviously, in the West is massive, is massive. Can you speak a little bit to what Yoku and Tudo are and how they're performing there and how companies are potentially using them and how it differs from how companies use YouTube in the West? Yeah, well, you, you don't have just Yoku Tudo, which merged sure. uh, and have actually been acquired by Alibaba Group. Mm. Uh, you also have two giants uh, from Baidu and obviously Tencent Group, which are uh, QQ Video and Aichi and three of them together kind of dominate the scene Uh, if you think youtube is big um these guys are much bigger Uh, and you have to consider that um there's not really such thing as a user generated content in china because it's quite difficult and there's obviously a lot of uh, policing around content that's being produced and aired uh, but you do have to consider consider they are kind of a mix of, of um, I would say uh, less uh, small production uh, content uh, that can be done by influencers or, or, or many other um, small producers as well as big money content so the likes of what a Netflix would look like so if you look at Yoku plus Tudo I would say they are both Netflix and YouTube, mm. and that's how big they are. And funnily, just I, I'm, you know, it's talking about these first two years. I remember that you know when we discovered them in China, they were actually not respecting any copyright, and they were built on broadcasting U.S. TV stations without the, the rights. And the, the moment that you know advertising got into it and it became a business that kind of changed and we saw these players evolve into um into you know a really well-run uh, properly run uh in line with with copyright uh company which it wasn't in the start and that also happened very quickly Let's switch gears a little bit. Can you speak to the pitch process involved in securing business in in your world? I'm going to use again the, the word I was just mentioning, but like like anything else uh, in China, it's quite intense. Mm. Um, 
there's a lot of pitching uh, involved, um, at least on an agency perspective. Uh, when you obtain a contract, usually they're not as long. And in fact, the, the agency client relationship on average is much shorter than what it is in the West. Really? Um, yeah. And I think it's under two years in China, if I, if I, if I remember correctly. And and the the turnaround times that you're given to pitch are actually very short. So when you have timelines in Europe of around three months, it's going to be three weeks in China. And so you can imagine that the intensity and 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 the effort that puts that's put into these three weeks is huge. Uh, and that that usually calls for for quite a lot of uh, quite a lot of work on a very short time. What is predicating the the urgency, the, the the quick turnaround, the timeline? I think China just moves fast. Um, they, they, you know, they. If, if you look at what Shanghai was twenty five or thirty years ago, and mm-hmm. what it is today, you understand that they had a lot of catching up to do, uh, and they were very motivated in catching up, um, and so that's kind of something they picked up on and that actually is probably part of the business culture now. Is it also due to the competitive nature of how quickly things are changing and how taste preferences platforms are all shifting so quickly and so rapidly? Uh, Very very much so. Um, I mean, to to the same you know, doing the same parallel, the Chinese change completely in 30 years. The cities change, everything changed so quickly. And so that has become part part of what they are in the essence of companies. Um, one thing I remember from China or that I've learned is this, don't, don't look back, just move fast and move quickly. Was there a particular formula that you landed on that uh, helped you be very successful in securing, you know, meaningful business projects? Uh, I wish there was. Uh, it's it's hard. I, I don't think there's a single um, USP. Uh, what you really need to do is understand what the client wants and, and adapt your offer. Um, when, when I arrived 10 years ago, what the global agencies could bring to the table was quite a lot of strategic thinking, as well as an approach to TV optimization, for example, having built tools that were then deployed and adapted to China. And that, that worked fairly well. Uh, but if you look at how we secured business in the last year, it was really about showing that we also, as um, a global agency and not a local agency, were able to really understand the ecosystems that Baidu, Tencent, and to a slightly lesser extent, uh, sorry, Alibaba, Tencent, and to a slightly lesser extent, Baidu are, um, and that we could add a layer to that, of strategic layer to that understanding. So it was changed quite a lot. Um, you do need to think about what you can bring to the table, though, that local agencies can't bring or, or local players. And this is what's very specific to China is that you have all the global players that are active on the market, but you also have very strong local players. Uh, and if you look at communications, you have people like Blue Focus or Highlink, which are really great digital agencies uh, and 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 really don't are, are operating as well as, as the global ones. So, you know, you can now come back and think about what is it as a global organization that you can bring to these companies. And, you know, it sometimes is transparency. Sometimes it's about um, the capability that you have to say, listen, you know, we can bring your brand outside of China um, or, or, or other things. But you really have to think about what you can bring local agencies can't because otherwise they will beat you on 
costs and on local understanding and and the likes. Um, maybe there is one thing that is even more fundamental and common to every every pitch in China is is really the, the relationship uh, you need to build with clients. Um, you know, seventy percent of a pitch is won before the pitch actually starts, um, and if if you haven't built a really tight level of 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 relationship with the key stakeholders, it's really hard to win on on the RFP alone. You mentioned understanding a client's needs as very important. When you're doing business in China, is understanding a client's needs a straightforward process? I think it is. Um, I think the, the feedback you get in many cases is, is very direct, and I find that generally uh, you get honest feedback uh, or or very clear under very clear direction of what the client wants to achieve. And in fact, that sometimes reflects in how pitches are being carried out, where, where in, the, in Europe you have a lot, or in the US, a lot of what we call agency of record. So one agency managing a lot of uh, all, all your communication or all your media. Uh, in, in China, that will be split and, and you will be told, I want you to optimize you know, just my out-of-home buying. I mean, in many cases, people are very directive um, and, and therefore it is straightforward. So, so no, there is a, there's a lot of the brands are directive, uh, companies are directive. They tell you what they look for. There are cases in which I it was harder for them to give uh, a non-Chinese uh, feedback, uh, but it you know if it had to go through my teams, it did, uh, and I usually know what the client was expecting. I've heard and personally I've experienced where in China there are no. Knows. There are only varying degrees of yes, some of which mean no. Would you agree with this? And yes. how do you, <laughs> yes. how, yeah, yeah. how would you, how do you deal with this in a client relationship environment and in a pitch process where you're not going to get the blunt feedback you might or the direct kind of you know, you you, you kind of have to read between the lines, no? Um, you kind of have to, but I, I could say the same thing about about the UK where I live now, and mm, where you know okay. uh, people are extremely polite, and sometimes you don't get as quick as feedback as as you would. Mm. It is true that in the Chinese language alone, there is no such word as a no, uh, and so obviously that that reflects into into behavior. But you know, once you once you've been in China for for a little while, um, you adapt and you understand, and you can. You know, you can read quite easily what's a polite no uh, versus what what a yes is. So I think I don't think that's a real. You know, I think I don't. I haven't seen that as a, as, as an issue. Uh, when a client wanted to tell us no, we 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 understood very quickly. <laughs> okay. Okay. Good. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the complexity of driving success uh, for brands and partners. Um, what does it typically take? Um, and if you could maybe tease out some of the nuances of those complexities. Well, I don't... Complexities is a, is a, is a complicated word. I think it's just a different... It's a different beast. It's a different market. And for any, any advertiser or business moving to China, uh, the word would be adapt. Um, mm. and, and, and it's great to have principles, but you have to understand what needs to be kept uh, within those principles and what you need to let go of. 
Um, so I'll give you I'll give you an example. Um, you know, you talked about brands in in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, there's a brand I remember, a local cosmetic brand um, that's called Mary Dogar, and they had done so. It's cosmetic. It's about beauty, um, and they had done a partnership with KFC, which you know by all by all I would say Western standards doesn't seem like the right fit for for a beauty brand and and the co-partnership co-marketing partnership they had done was actually to do lipstick shaped ice cream in the exact color tone of their new lipstick and consumers loved it and it was a huge success um, and I can tell you for a fact that none of my Western clients that, that I work for would have done this just based on principles um, so, so that's probably what I would more than nuance is you need to be to adapt and to adapt to what's acceptable in China. What's acceptable to a consumer or to a brand in China is much different to what is is acceptable here. Um, okay, I've mentioned about you know being adapt. It doesn't mean you need to 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 be to be different, um, and you need to have some level of consistency. Um, I'll give you another example. Probably in, in in the other in the other sense, um, I was working for for a brand who was quite successful in China. I don't want to name them, mm-hmm. um, and then all of a sudden, they believed that they could increase their price substantially and and position themselves as as a much more premium brand than they were in 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 Europe or or the U.S. Um, and after that, uh, the moment they did that, their sales went down, um, and they pretty much died. And the, the piece of advice I would give to anybody who wants to go there is, again, adapt, but be true to yourself and what your brand is. And if you think that just because it's a new market where your brand is not known, you can have a huge premium or, 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 or sell at a higher price than you would in Europe, uh, you're in for a very bad surprise. Is there more opportunity like what and i think the answer is is yes because china is a little bit different you talked about an advertising strategy for cosmetics working with kfc um you know like something that other brands western brands may not have touched is there and i want to just look into that more is there more opportunity to go in different directions, take more risks. Are there areas you can go further down and try new and different things where the unique aspects of China's culture, where they are very strict about some things, but then are very lax about others. Does that afford unique opportunities uh, for you working with brands in China? I, I think that it kind of accelerated at the end with with all these new platforms and products and and you know digital really empowering marketers to try out new things. Um, so 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 I would say yes, you feel a lot more empowered. There's a lot more to test. Um, and I, except for a little bit of of what you can actually put in an ad copy, the claims you can do, which which are controlled. Mm. Um, I, I found that there was a lot more liberty uh, in China than we actually have here. Okay, Matthias, great answer. Let's move over to talking a little bit about some of the overarching trends um, and how the media market is changing in China and has changed over the last you know dozen years or so. Yeah, well, I think that's a pretty simple, simple answer to that. I think is mm. the emergence of ecosystems, and you know, we we see that we we've seen it in 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 the West with Facebook and Google. But if you look at um, Tencent and WeChat or Alibaba and, and 
what they've built, uh, it's, it's absolutely changed the face of, of advertising, media, data, uh, you name it. Um, and so this is really changing not only the way we operate as agencies, uh, but also how brands are able to, to be built uh, and how they go to market. And so I think there's, there's quite a lot of changes happening here. We see now brands uh, being born on, on Alibaba. We see, we see brands being born on social commerce. Uh, we, we see quite a lot of different ways to, to, to leverage these ecosystems. That's what's changed. So it's changed for, for advertisers, for a consumer. It changes as well for, for agencies. And so, you know, I, I mentioned in the beginning that, you know, you have in China, you have the, the, the global players, you know, the, the, the publicists, the WPPs, you have the huge local players, Blue Focus and the likes, and you now have a third category of players when it does come to advertising and marketing, which are the TPs, uh, the Taobao partners, which were originally people who were operating uh, your stores on 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 Tmall and Taobao and they've moved into marketing as well because they understood that understanding Alibaba's ecosystem and being very close to sales was a great way for them to actually convince clients to work with them and give them their their advertising budget so so yeah the, the weight that that Alibaba and Tencent has, have have gained is is fundamental and it's changed the whole advertising industry has the ripple effect of what they're doing in China been felt outside of China? And has it started to change the way we do things in the West? I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. Um, you know, there's one, there's one huge difference, um, I would say, between China and, and, and the West. And, and, you know, it's, it took me a few years to try to articulate this correctly, but there's still a feeling in the West that a strategy is something that's laid at the top, um, mm. kind of a tagline, and then it gets perfectly or consistently implemented in everything you do. So, you know, the big notion of integrated marketing starts from this. In China, a strategy is kind of um, a way to synergize a lot of tactics and and operational excellence and if and it's how do you bring all of these together to build something coherent so one starts from the top the other one starts from the bottom and and i think these two approaches are so fundamentally different that what china does is going to take a lot of time to move outside of china the same way a lot of what we do still hasn't made a lot of headway there because they have their own ways of of approaching strategy and business Matthias, I wanted to ask about the difference between the West um, and, and, you know, clients and brands and customers uh, in China as far as their uh, receptivity and their appetite for, for risk or for trial or for testing. Are you able to build more of that into a, a project, a scope of work when um, in China versus maybe in the West? How has that changed? Talk about all of that little nugget. So I'm going to do a, a parallel here um, with cuisine. And, and if you look at Spain, which today has some of the most disruptive cuisine, it came from a place where the food heritage wasn't that strong, whereas 
France, and if you go to Paris today, the food is not as good as it used to be, hasn't moved because it had such a strong heritage. And so I see China a little bit like this today. There wasn't a lot of, you know, this is what a business is supposed to look like. This is how you're supposed to operate because everything was new. And as a result of that, we've seen a lot of fresh ideas, a lot of disruption, and a lot of global brands now playing catch up. Would you say that that points towards what I've always felt where when when it comes to Chinese and their brands and their products, there's a remarkable lack of ego? Well, that goes back to the exact point I was I, I was mm. saying, and in, in when you asked me why WeChat, and I was saying, you know, I don't understand why WhatsApp hasn't copied WeChat. I think it's an ego thing. And mm-hmm. I think the Chinese don't care. They don't care to copy. They don't care being copied. All they want is to be the best tomorrow. Uh, and so I think you're absolutely right. How is the agency model changing in China? Well, I think a little bit like like everybody like everywhere else. There's there's a question about these ecosystems and and what that means for an agency to be from somebody who orchestrated every channel to a partner that is pretty much managing two giants. Um, so so that's a true question, um, and and we still need and we need to show value in doing so. So I was mentioning a lot of. Um, work on making sure that there was a great understanding and a deep understanding of these ecosystems and what has that has resulted in is really trying to to, to work on um, delivering a product uh, around what they have built so if you take the example of alibaba for example the way agencies are restructuring today is having a very strong commerce team and within that commerce team a very strong data science team was able to work with the likes of data bank which is a, a kind of private dmp that sits within alibaba and the likes so yeah a lot more data a lot more ecosystem that being said i believe it's it's also true outside of china i just think that things have moved quicker there. And if you look at the budgets uh, that are being allocated in these ecosystems, they're, they've really overtaken um, everything else. Matthias, what is your best piece of advice that you can give to companies, brands, agencies um, going to China, existing in China, being successful in China? Um. I think a simple answer to that, which I, I could give for for many many different mm-hmm. um, in many different occasions, which is just listen. Uh, you you need to listen. You cannot come in with a preconceived idea of what success is going to look like for your business or, or how you're going to get there, of what a good communication plan is or what a good agency model is. You need to go there. You need to understand the nuances. You need to listen um, to, to, to what people around you say. Again, the, the worst thing you could do is come with you know, a kind of patronizing mindset saying, I, I, you know, I've built my business in, in that or that country and I'm going to do the same thing and I know how it works. And if you come in with that mindset, you're probably bound to fail. Brilliant. Matthias, thank you so much for coming on the show today. This was excellent. I want to let our listeners know where can they find you, follow you, share your content, like whatever. Well, I'm not. I'm not really present on social networks, but if people do want to mm-hmm. uh, get in touch with me, they can find me on LinkedIn. Matthias Shayu, thank you very much for coming on the show. We really appreciate all your advice and insights today. Thank you, Todd. Growing a company is hard. 
Doing it in a foreign market? Exponentially so. The best piece of advice I can give you is not to do it alone. When you start looking across the pond for further expansion possibilities, and I sincerely hope that you do, make sure you choose the right partners to do it with. My good friends at WPIC Marketing and Technologies have almost 20 years of experience helping brands just like yours enter China. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Negotiation, and if you're interested in being a guest or want to connect with me or any of our team, please reach out to us at podcast at wpic.co. And be sure to rate, comment, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Zai Jing.